Hello, this is Aaron Saft on the MR Running Pains podcast. With 30 years of running experience and 20 years of coaching, I thought it time to share with you things I've learned and people I've met so that you can try things for yourself and see if they help your running. Thanks for joining me. Wrote this song while crew and Aaron on a 100-mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? Back to episode 40 of the MR Running Pains podcast. Whew, 40 episodes. My goodness, time's going by. But um, more importantly, my guest today, uh, the first uh, is Lisa Landrum. Lisa uh, is an athlete that I coach. Uh, I started coaching her about four months ago, and uh, she came to me with the goal of, of completing her first 100-miler, which she recently did at the Rim to River 100 mile race in West Virginia. A number of my athletes competed there, and really, um, all of them had positive things to say about the race, uh, as you'll hear from Lisa. Um, and then I am joined by Lisa's crew captain and pacer, Nathan Lehman. Uh, Nathan is a, 
uh, experienced and uh, veteran ultra runner in his own right, having completed the Tour de Jeans, as we talk about a little bit in this episode. Um, I think Nathan would be a, a great future guest to kind of share a lot of his knowledge. Uh, Nathan is also the owner of the ultra running company in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, he, he brings a lot uh, to uh, the running community uh, as well as to this podcast. I really appreciate his insights and uh, um, his words of wisdom that you'll hear in this podcast, uh, as well as Lisa's. Lisa shares a lot. I appreciate her openness, you know, as do all my guests, their openness to share and, and willing to, uh, to, to go deeper into how things went. Um, you know, we talk about training and we talk about, um, race day preparations, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, as we did in, uh, my previous episode, uh, with, uh, uh, the Yeti 100, um, and, uh, whew, you know, that was, that was such a, a great, great time talking to, uh, Julia Jordan, uh, and her experience at the Yeti 100. Um, but we'll learn some new things today from Lisa and, and, uh, and Nathan. So, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, and, uh, as always, I'll join you after the, uh, interview and we'll catch up on, uh, what's going on. So sit back, relax, or enjoy your run. And uh, I present to you Lisa Landrum and Nathan Lehman. All right. I'm here with uh, Lisa Landrum and uh, Nathan Lehman. And um, we're going to be discussing Lisa's experience at the Rim to River. So, um, Lisa, why don't you start with uh, introducing yourself? Hi, I'm Lisa Landrum, um, living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and this was my first hundred, so I'm excited to be on here to talk about it. Aaron helped a little bit with the with the preparation. We'll get into that, but that's how I know that's how I know Aaron and Nathan and I um, are running around in the same circles. So he has a. Uh, what was your um, What was your experience prior to the hundred, Lisa? What What was your longest distance? My longest distance was a 50 miler two. I've done two 50 milers. Right. One in training and one racing, right? Yes. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, And Nathan, your turn. (laughs) Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having us on. I really appreciate it. Um, I am, uh, my name is Nathan Lehman. I'm the owner of the ultra running company in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been running for uh, the better part of the last decade and primarily run hundred mile races. Um, usually get a few of those in each year. And I have raced across the United States and uh, been to Europe to race once. So I, I've got both local and international experience and uh, really everything from the, the East Coast here in North Carolina, uh, Charlotte's my hometown, uh, out to California and everything in between in the States. Nathan's being quite modest about what he did over in Europe. You can actually say what you did. <laughs> so my European race was uh, was called Tour de Géants. It's a 219-mile race uh, around the Aosta Valley of Italy, uh, which means that it takes place entirely in the Alps. So in, um, you, you get quite a bit of vertical going up and down mountains and going through small Italian towns. It's, uh, it's a really, really wonderful race. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Lisa, uh, what race did you do? What, what are we talking about here? What was, uh, what was the course like? Get into all those details. So this is the Rim to River 100, and it is the this year was the inaugural year for a hundred miler race in 
uh, West Virginia. And, you know, the race director was really communicative and gave a lot of uh, background about this race, um, which was cool. Obviously, everybody involved took a lot of pride in, you know, the area. Um, and the reason that I kind of looked into it, I, a hundred miler has been on my bucket list for a while and 2020, as we know, just really kind of threw everybody for a loop. And I'm like, man, if there is ever a time that I, you know, have the time to do it and need to kind of go someplace else in my head for a while, it's now like, this will give me something else to think about and, um, a goal, uh, hopefully for the end of it, you know, nobody knew how long, how long this mess would last. But um, that's the reason that I signed up for it. And uh, the course just looked absolutely beautiful. And it was. It was cool. awesome. Um, what are we talking about for kind of elevation change? Um, so it was, I think, I think it was listed as 16,000. Um, I don't, know if it was actually that much. My Garmin died, which is a rookie mistake, but um, uh, it was definitely, you know, the parts that were runnable were really, really runnable and the parts that were not were really not. So it was, it was super evident, you know, when to run and when to hike. Um, some of the sections, there were two second sections that I remember I was, I used my hands and feet. <laughs> so there were definitely some places that it was pretty, pretty steep. I should, you know, you're climbing in and out of the New River Gorge. So you start, we started um, at the top and then went down, descended to the New River, climbed back up and then did that, did that all through the race. So So it was uh, rim to river infinity, rim to river, rim to river, rim to river. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, So um, uh, Nathan, what's a, what role did you, um, provide Lisa in this? So Lisa came to me uh, probably two months ago now uh, to to see if I would help her uh, in crewing and pacing. And um, I this will be the first year in, in probably the last decade that I haven't run a 100-mile race. And uh, towards the, I didn't have anything scheduled towards the beginning of the year. I know you're familiar with UTMB, and I, I was signed up for that. But um, I, I'm uh, pretty cautious on the COVID front, and so I've chosen not to do any races myself for the rest of the year, um, just to to see how this plays out. And so when Lisa approached me, um, one, I really wanted to help her out and and see her finish a hundred mile race, but also it gave me an opportunity to see what people are doing in response to COVID, how they're changing their methods, and and what some of the best practices are, so that we can give out the advice when people come into the store and say, Hey, should, should I be doing this? And, um, and so it's from my perspective, really nice to be able to see some of the changes that people are making at aid stations, some of the changes that in starts that Lisa will talk about and, um, and some of the challenges that that presents as well. So, uh, for me, this was just a wonderful opportunity to, to, um, take a year in which I'm not racing and, and both give something back, but also get something out of it and, and find out what's happening now. And just a, a plug for the, the Rim to River uh, course itself, uh, I couldn't have been happier when Lisa mentioned this race. It was one of the few races that early on in COVID closure said, we're going to have this and got approvals for it. And um, and I think it's you, you hear questions a lot about what makes a great first 100 miler. And usually people think that's a flat race. 
And, and my experience is that that's not the case at all. Um, a flat race is as difficult as a mountain race in some cases. And Rim to River was just a really nice mix of that. Um, I think we got about in the last, uh, in the last 18 miles, I, I'm guessing it was only about 2000 feet of gain. Um, but, but it was, you knew when to walk, you knew when to run, you knew what was coming. And, and as you're doing a first hundred miler, that's so valuable to know, to be able to plan out the race and and have expectations both as a runner and as a pacer. So I I just thought this was a great experience and it really did lay out well for that first time runner. I think there were a lot of first time runners at Rim to River and, um, and depending on their strategy, they finished in different ways. But um, but it was really nice to be able to see how Lisa uh, attacked each portion of that and how we as pacers could help her do that because it, it did lay out really well. Very runnable in places. Um, the climbs were there, but they were very noticeable. So um, you, you could expect them. What was your first 100 miler, Nathan? Uh, my first 100 miler was uh, Cactus Rose in Texas. It's, uh, it's on the same, same trails as the Bandera 100K. And it's, it's a fantastic race put on by Tejas Trails and uh, um, great folks down in Texas. So I, I did a couple races down there when I first started just because the community was so amazing. But same sort of thing, not, not incredibly technical, but technical enough. Um, I, I, think, I think Cactus Rose has about 16,000 feet of, of climbing uh, over 100 miles. And that's enough to get you a workout, but not enough that it's going to crush a first-time runner. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so Lisa, how did you pick your, your crew and your pacers? Um, never having done one of these before I knew that I needed and wanted someone with a ton of experience and who, you know, knew what to do, wouldn't be afraid to tell people what to do. Um, and (laughs) for better or worse, Nathan popped into my head kind of right away. And it took me a while to ask him, honestly, because although, you know, he and I are friends and I've known him for a while, we've never actually even run together. Um, and you know, he has all those accolades and I'm like, he is not going to want to come and do this for me for, you know, no reason. I mean, take a weekend and drive up there and stay and do that. And, um, I did ask him and he said, yes. And I was thrilled. Um, and my other pacer Holly really has just been, um, kind of with me throughout the training process. She's done a lot of long, she did most of the long runs with me. Um, and I knew that she knew me as a runner. So I thought that that was super important to have. Um, and then Jason, my husband helped obviously as well. Um, so, you know, at the beginning I had one more person, a couple more people, um, that I wanted to be involved. And then Nathan was like, man, it kind of, you know, the crew access points were really limited because of COVID. Um, so there really wasn't a need to have a ton of people out there. Um, I, you know, as a novice kind of thought maybe the more, the better (laughs) taking care of me, telling me what to do. Um, but it ended up being perfect. I think from a crew perspective. Sure. Yeah. Um, so you've limited it to, um, Nathan, your husband and Holly, correct? Yeah. And, um, Nathan, you were going to provide both roles as crew and pacer, right? That That's correct. Yeah. I, I was really excited to be able to run as well. Uh, originally, we just talked about me managing kind of the, the crew out there, but the opportunity to run, um, and see how she was reacting at the end and maybe give a little bit of tough love 
and just based on experience was was wonderful for me. I do think that again, people think they need a village out there, and and you do need so much support when you're training for a hundred miler and completing it. But most of that's really in the barn. You know, if you have two or three people that can manage well the process, um, it it makes all the difference in the world. So, uh, frankly, I I didn't know Holly or Jason well, but they just fit the role so well. Um, Holly was incredibly open to suggestions about how to pace. She knew Lisa very, very well. Um, we talked about different strategies going forward. And then Jason was just ready to have everything there. And obviously he knows Lisa better than anyone. And so the nuances of, of what she needed uh, that I might not have seen or that Holly might not have seen, he was right there for it. And he also frankly took directions really well he was just so excited to do it he'd have things laid out he'd say okay here are three options for her at every aid station and um and it made my tasks and and my planning so much easier to have that there cool lisa did your kids come yeah they did i was going to include them in the crew but they they didn't really i mean it was it was helpful from an emotional mental point of view to see them uh, i think i saw some twice out of the four two or three times. I can't remember, but, um, Jason was good at managing when kind of, uh, you know, they, they might be helpful for me to see and when they might not be so helpful for me to see. So, and we had talked about that before, which was key as well. I think a lot of people, um, want their whole family around them and everyone to see them doing this. And I don't think it would have been good for them to see me at some, some of those stops. So it worked out. How old are they? Um, 17, I have a 17 year old daughter, a 14 year old son and an 11 year old daughter. Right on. So they're a little bit older. You don't have to worry about them as much. It's, it gets a little bit tougher when they're younger in age, you start worrying about them a little bit more than yourself. So, um, yeah, that's good. Um, Lisa, how did you, um, how did you prep your, you know, your crew? Like, what did you give them ahead of time or tell them ahead of time? Um, we had a couple of meetings, um, when it got really, really close and I was a hundred percent convinced that this whole thing was going to go down. Um, uh, we had, I had a big old spreadsheet, um, that had notes, uh, from me or about what I thought I might need. Um, and you know, when I would see them and we kind of, we just shared that information and just kind of would have discussions about that, you know, not at a big meeting, but just kind of like throwing it around. Like I'd ask Nathan a couple of things and go and update the sheet. And um, that was very helpful for me. I felt like all of us were on the same page. And the night before, you know, we sat down, <laughs> we sat down, a couple of things came up that, you know, I hadn't thought of before. <laughs> so that was good to have Nathan there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the way we did it. Cool. Cool. Um, so Nathan, you looked over everything and, and what did you see that you were like, well, maybe we should think about this. Well, I, I actually really like the idea of having a couple of different goals for your race. And Lisa had that coming in. So the first time we met, um, she said, listen, I have, I have goals. And Lisa, I don't know if I can throw them out there, but she was, she was pretty clear what the goals were. And, <laughs> um, and so we, we, we built um, a, a spreadsheet that basically tracked all three of those goals. So we'd know where she was in relationship to her goals every time she came in. And, and that was helpful for for both for us as uh, as crew, but also to plan out all her nutrition, to plan out when she we she'd get the water, to plan out what she needed in her only drop bag, what you know how we'd stock, and 
our our goal became let's make this as easy on her as possible at the aid stations and and eliminate as many potential errors as possible so when she'd come in we'd literally just empty out her bag whether she'd eaten her nutrition or not and then throw in what we knew she'd need for the next session based on based on her pace and and movement so that all she had to worry about hopefully was running uh, not not that she'd be missing something in her bag or or that there was something that she'd forgotten. Um, so we, we did adjust a little bit uh, on the fly at each aid station, but we had a plan in place for drinking, for hydration, for nutrition, and even for, for small things like changes of socks, but they were all planned out ahead of time. And that made it very, very easy, both because she'd know what to expect when she got to the aid station, if she could remember at that point what we'd planned. <laughs> um, and <laughs> And then we knew what she'd hoped for, and it gave us the opportunity when we did have to adjust that we were only adjusting small things. We weren't going going in and and being the crew that basically says, "Okay, what do you want now?" and and having the runner have to make a decision that that doesn't make it easy for the for the athlete when they're trying to complete a hundred miles. Absolutely, um, I I rather enjoyed um, Lisa and I. Obviously, I had a few conversations prior to the uh, the actual event. And uh, we, she was starting to describe her goals and she had spoken to you and you called her out on, on one of her goals. Um, Lisa, do you want to talk about that for a second? Uh, yeah. So we had three, you know, we had three goals or I had three goals. Um, a was like if everything was just in line. Everything was perfect. The weather was perfect. I was feeling great and could run the whole hundred miles. Um, and then a beagle, when I first showed Nathan, he, he was like, yeah, that's sandbagging. Like, don't, don't do that one. Um, what, you know, what would it really be? And so we adjusted a couple hours and then the final goal was like, you know, just right at the cutoff at 32 hours and walking, you know, physically being able to walk or run across it. That's like kind of the the last tier. Um, and I ended up, I didn't meet my A goal, um, but I did meet my B goal. Um, although, and this is a part we'll get to later. Uh, there's a story about how, how I met that, how I crushed that B goal. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I think it's really important, Aaron, to have those different goals because when you're running, you and and we will definitely touch on this later. When as the runner, you you miss a goal, things feel like they're going to fall apart. And if you don't have a backup there, um, then then you don't have something to strive for, and it's easy to just just see the darkness in it. If you have a couple goals that are true goals, not a sandbag goal, not a you know not a um, not something that you'd be okay with, but something that you truly want, you can always readjust and shoot for those. And I think that made a big difference. I can think of twice in the race where the the goals and our, and Lisa's ability to hit those goals made a huge difference in how she was running. So, it, it, and they need to be honest goals. If they're not real goals and, and you don't believe in them when you start, you're certainly not going to believe in them when you feel terrible at mile 80. I totally agree. Yes. Um, we were just talking last night. I do a Facebook live session with the athletes each week and we were talking about um, goal races and then making goals for each race. So I, I agree that you should come up with uh, an A, B and C and even just to fall back, you know, just like get to the finish. So um, that's, that's, that's huge. always there. <laughs> that's right. Just get to the finish. Um, Lisa, based on what we just talked about, your goals and such, um, what, what mental mindset were you in prior to uh, starting the race? Where did you feel like, how were you feeling? Were you obviously nervous, right? This is a new distance, but 
you know, what, what was in your mind? Did you have doubts in your mind? You know, talk about that for a moment. Um, you know, I knew kind of going into this, that if I did have doubts in my mind that I probably wasn't ready to, to, you know, start something like this. Um, so I, I really didn't. Um, I knew that I was determined. Like I knew that if I could physically move forward, that I would. Um, so, you know, it was never battling thoughts about quitting. It was always kind of battling thoughts about staying just right in the moment, which I think is the now looking back, I think that's the toughest part. Um, it's hard, especially this is an out and back race. It's an out and back route. Um, so I would be going, you know, through sections and I would immediately think, Oh my God, I got to do this on the side. (laughs) And then, you know, I tried really hard to let that be the only time that I would let myself think that. Um, so it was really, you know, I, like I said, there, I, I, people sign up for these things for a lot of different reasons and, and I have my own and, um, I was pretty, pretty determined that I was going to finish the thing. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it's what we always talk about is just staying in the moment and deciding what you need at that moment in order to keep going forward. So, um, that's perfect. Um, you know, Nathan, you've been on this side of things as well. Um, you know, you talked about Tour de Jean's earlier. Um, you know, what what was your mindset going into something like that? I mean, that's a totally new distance for for you know most people, <laughs> if not all people. Uh, what what was going through your mind? How did you prepare mentally for something like that? So I, I think for me, Tour de Jean's just because I have uh, quite a bit of experience with hundred milers. I I can go into a hundred miler and. And not take it for granted because you can never take that distance for granted, but know that I have a very good chance of, of both finishing and hopefully of hitting my goals. Um, when you go into something for me, Tour de Jean's, for Lisa going into this, that you don't know the outcome, that you don't know that you can do, it's it's a very special challenge. It's 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 truly where you're pushing yourself to do something um, interesting. So the, the mindset on that has to be different. You, you can't be doing it for someone else. Um, you, you can't be doing it for, for a silly reason. So with with Tour de Géants, it, it was always just a question of how far could I push my body and how fast could I, how can you combine going quickly with actually finishing? And and how can you main, make sure that you're doing that? And then what happens, what are you going to do when your plan falls apart completely? Because most plans fall apart uh, at some point in the race and, and you never know when it will be. So, um, so Tour was more of a mental uh more of a mental challenge than a physical one. Um, frankly, when you go 220 miles, you're going pretty slowly. And so, uh, so it becomes, are you, you know, how can you force yourself to put one step in front of the other? And it might be a, a silly thing, but I know that there aren't that many people in the world that have ever finished a race like Tour de Géants. And, and for me being able to say that I have, I've trained and that I've, I've challenged and, and will, will complete that. And, and that's what I had just heard from Lisa. She, she knew that she would complete the hundred miler. She just didn't know what she'd look like when she did it. <laughs> and she didn't know what, what it would feel like throughout, but, but there was never a doubt in my mind that I would finish. Um, it was just a matter of what would that look like and how would it feel and, and, um, and what would the result be? So, um, I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I was fortunate enough to finish it and finish it on or around my goal pace. Um, but just like Lisa probably feels on this, now she can go back to a hundred mile and improve on it and get better. 
and and I look at different challenges, a Tour de Giants, a UTMBs, uh, some of these other races that people would consider more challenging and say, okay, now, now that I've set, set a baseline, um, can I set a different goal? Because now I know that I can do it and that's no longer a goal. Um, so now it becomes, okay, how well can I do it? How can I, can I excel at this or, or am I just trying to complete it? Because what I found is just trying to complete something the second time doesn't get you to the finish line. It, it will cause you to drop out. You see these professional athletes, if they're, if they're a marathon runner and they're not going to hit their Olympic time, uh, qualifying time, they'll just quit at 13 or 20 or, or nine and and that's not the type of runner I want to be. I want to be the type of runner that starts something and finishes something. And so it's always re re reestablishing goals that are true goals and that they will carry you through. Um, there's a funny saying at Tor: when you get done, um, you you can basically say you are a giant. And and so when you cross the finish line at Tor Tour de Giants, for the last day that I was out there, it took me somewhere between 100 and 105 hours. I, I can't tell you exactly. But for the last day that I was out there, all I thought was, I am a giant. I just haven't proved it yet. And and so then when I got done, I, I can say that no matter what else happens in my life, I've, I've crossed the finish line. That's awesome. Um and Lisa, we, you know, we've kind of talked about mental prep. How about your physical preparations, your training? Um, you know, let's, let's, let's touch on that there. <laughs> that, you know, that to me, I always say, I think I said this the night before. I know I said it to Holly at some point. I'm like, man, I, I like the training a lot more than this feeling that I have right now, like before lining up. Um, I've always loved training. I just, I just really kind of dig those mini goals and hitting them and seeing uh, the progression. Um, and I worked with you, Aaron, to get myself ready for this because I had not never done this distance before. And I really had no idea what to do. I've always kind of just written my own plans for the 50 K's and for the 50 miler, 50 miler that I did, I just kind of, I just kind of went by the seat of my pants. Um, and now looking back, I ran way too much. <laughs> um, that's what was fascinating to me about your plan. You know, we had a conversation um, at the very, very beginning about my lifestyle and, you know, how much time could I really commit to this and um, maybe, you know, the areas where I would be running and the terrain that I'd be running on. Um, and, you know, I'm a mom of three kids and, um, you know, we have a pretty active lifestyle as a family. So your plan was super manageable. Um, and I remember, honestly, I'm going to say this, you haven't heard this yet, but <laughs> I was talking to a friend. I'm like, man, I hope I've run enough for this. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just seemed your plan really seemed to fit for me in terms of not completely beating me up. Um, and it just, it worked really well. I think we were together four months. Is, was that my training plan about, or about four yeah. months? Um, yeah. And it just, it was a great mix of running and the strength, I think, is a huge game changer. Um, so it yeah. worked. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of doubted it, but look, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, as, as Nathan can attest, there's no textbook for training for ultra. Um, we have principles that we can apply as you were talking about earlier for training for a marathon. And, uh, we have, you know, all of these people that have all these ideas for how you should train for, for marathon and below, but 
when it comes to ultra, you know, we are, we're just stepping into new territory and we're applying, you know, principles that, uh, that we've used successfully for years in the marathon, but we're, you know, we're trying to bring them across the ultra, which, you know, uh, a lot of people, they just go out and run, which is, that's okay. You know, it depends on your goal, obviously. Um, but what we were trying to get you to do is be comfortable moving for a long amount of time, you know? So, uh, we wanted to not just, uh, add mileage, but make what you do effective to get you across the finish line. So we mixed it up quite a bit and put in some things that you probably had done before, but you know, we, we mixed it in a way that was going to make sense for you to, to go longer. So, um, and I'm glad it worked. <laughs> um, was there anything that you think you uh, would have done differently or added, or did we miss anything? This is your time to yell at me. <laughs> uh, honestly, no. Um, there were times when, you know, I was doing those twisted warrior things that you love. <laughs> I'd be like, I can't even stand on this leg. How am I supposed to do this thing? But no, I think, like I said, I think it just worked. It worked really well. And you were, I think the key thing also was that you um, and I would mix things up a little bit. Like if I had something going on and I couldn't do a long run on, on a Saturday, you know, we'd work it in um, early in the week and, and it was just helpful um, to, to be able to know going into it, you know, when my longer runs were, so I could adjust for that. So no, it was all good. All right. It's good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get into, uh, the race. Um, so, um, you know, uh, I think a big thing that you both had touched on was the, uh, the COVID adaptations that, that, you know, that had to happen. Um, let's just start off there. What did, what did you guys see? What did you notice? So, you know, the race director, like I said, um, he's a first time RD uh, and then, you know, throw the whole COVID thing into it. And I, he had to work really hard to adjust what he originally had down on paper for this event. Um, and even, you know, what we signed up for as runners, what we signed up for is a different event, you know, with a lot more crew access um, and, you know, you think you're going to be around kind of a bunch of people at the start and you kind of can feed off the energy of that. But we uh, started, he started us out every 15 minutes in ways of 20. Um, And then, you know, we had to be masked up. Every time we went to an aid station, we were masked up. The aid station volunteers were masked up with gloves. Um, We would tell them what we wanted. They had kind of a menu of things that we could choose from, you know, typical, um, aid station stuff. And we would tell them what we wanted, which as a runner, that was a little challenging because like Nathan mentioned before, and I'm not experienced enough to know exactly what I'm going to want, especially late in the race. I was like, I don't, I have no idea what I want, but if I, you know, maybe had seen it laying in front of me, I'd be like, Oh, that Oreo looks delicious. Let me, (laughs) um, so that was a little bit of a challenge, but you know, as you know, with races like this, you spread out so quickly anyway, there were a few times that, that I'd come up with another runner and we'd share, you know, some time together, but, um, it, it was, I felt, I felt safe as a runner. Good. Good. Aaron, she touched on one piece that it's not good or bad, but it's just so different. And, and I, I know people use aid stations to varying degrees. Um, when I'm trying to run a race faster, I tend to not use an aid station much at all. I'll count on my own gear, my own drop bags, my own crew. 
But, but one thing that I will do is I will graze off of an aid station. You know, I'll have my nutrition plan set up, set up, but part of that nutrition plan is when you get to the aid station, take in a hundred calories of something. And it doesn't matter what. And so that's the point where I can go over and I, you know, I look over all the garbage that's sitting there and the M&Ms and the Oreos and the potato chips. And I choose something, whatever sounds best to me at the time, but it's not a thought out process. Everything else has been planned, but this is this is where you're adjusting based on how you feel at that moment. And, and that that's different than the, than you're allowed to do now. Um, you can do it, but it takes some thought. You have to look at a menu and say, oh boy, M&Ms might be might be good now or or an oreo might be good now um but it's it's just a different aspect of it that it's an interesting uh thought process for the runner especially later in a race when you frankly you've got brain fog things aren't working right you don't want to read things you don't want to ask for you want instant gratification on that food and so as a, as athletes going into these hundred milers that's that's one place where we're going to have to adjust and and we're going to have to say okay um or, or maybe race directors are clearer on what is at every aid station so that when you go into the aid station, it's always been nice in the past to have a good mix of things and have different things at different aid stations. But it may be that now in order to help out the athlete, you say these 15 things will be at every aid station. And as they're running in, they say, okay, that's what I'd like. And they can request it. So that, that was very different for me. The other piece is that at aid stations, even when there were crew, uh, the crew was not able to go to the aid station. One person max at each aid station. And, and I think it's really important for crew to respect that, you know, it's not the aid station's job to keep you following the rules. It's the crew's job to know the rules and, and to respect them. And so we tended to stay away from the aid stations. Uh, I, I didn't know what an aid station looked like there until we, I was running with Lisa because I, I was respecting their ideas for it. And so Lisa would stop by the aid station, then she'd come to the crew car and they were more flexible with allowing you to stop at crew vehicles. And I think that's that's another distinct difference between 12 months ago and today. Uh, the aid stations are, are just frankly bigger because they include the parking lot where you can go to your crew and, and sit down with them as opposed to the crew coming to the aid station. So two very different experiences that Lisa went through that um, she would not have gone through a year ago. And I think you can speak to this, Nathan, from what I saw, you know, just especially in the earlier stages when I was noticing it, it seemed like everybody was doing was being very respectful of those rules. Yes. Yep. Good. Yeah. Good. And that, that's just a shout out to the community doing that, knowing the rules ahead of time, reading out the just mountains of, of information that this race director sent out. Yeah. Um, I, I think for a first time race director, we can identify a couple areas where he'll improve in the future. But but the communication part was not one of those. He did a very nice job of that. Um, and, and the excitement was not one of those. He, he was very excited. And, and that came through to everybody there. That's important. Um, Lisa, I'm interested to hear, um, how did you break the race up in your mind? Did you break it up by aid station or did you break it up by distance time? What, did you break it up at all? <laughs> of course, yes, I definitely broke it up. Um, and going into it, I thought that I would break it up, um, by when I would see my crew. But as I started running, um, I, I couldn't keep track of when I was going to see my crew. Like I, I, I couldn't keep track of the aid stations anymore, like the names of the aid stations anymore. And in, you know, I had all these copious notes and little cheat sheets and I was like, hand me this when I see you. Cause I'm going to study the elevation. And it really just became like, okay, now I can't, 
I can't do that. I can't devote that energy to that. Um, I'm running to the next aid station. So then it became how far to the next aid station. That's the only thing that I would really think about in my head. And that's how I chunked it down. Did they have the signs out at the aid stations letting you know how far to the next aid station? Say that one more time. (laughs) So um, at times the aid stations will have signs that say, you know, six miles to the next aid station. Did they have that out or did you have your cheat sheet? I don't remember seeing a sign, but the aid station workers would always know. They'd always know. know. Okay. Very good. Um, So um, let's see. Um, How often did you get to see your crew? I saw them at mile 26, at mile 55. So that was a big chunk. Um, And then, you know, turning back around at 82. And then at 95. And also at seven. Oh, and also at seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, When could you pick up a pacer? Mile 55. And then um, I switched out at mile 82 with me. Okay. All right. Um, So you're going through the first section, let's say, you know, you're, you're running your first, your first piece of this race. How are things going? I thought they went well. I I mean, (laughs) I think the first, the the challenging thing for me going into it, I like to know what's ahead. I like to, you know, I'm a planner. So I was a little um, undone by the fact that I had never been to this area of the country before. I have never, you know, I had never seen these trails. I certainly had not run on them. I didn't know how the footing would be, you know, all that stuff that, you know, I didn't know was, um, a little unnerving. So once we got going and I could see kind of what I was in for, you know, especially in that particular section at that first aid station, actually, when I saw them, I remember saying to my first pacer, um, Holly, I was like, the leaves, there are so many leaves. You've got to, it's so hard to tell your footing. Um, so that first section was really about getting to know just how, how like the feel of the trails. Um, and once, once, you know, I kind of settled into that, it, it kind of calmed me down a little bit. What time of day did you start? I started at 545 AM. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so, um, anything of note, how was your stomach? How was everything? Everything was good. You know, yeah. Everything was good. I am not typically a gel eater. So I was, uh, you know, I obviously knew I had gone into the store and we picked out, you know, Nathan's like, it's, it's math. Like this is how many calories you need to have just set. So, you know, if all else fails, you have them there. And I remember thinking, there is no way I'm going to eat all those gels like that. There's no way. Um, and it did get to a point where it was just the easiest thing, you know, just to open it and get it down. Um, and the nutrition piece of it was a job for me. You know, I don't, I, I don't typically enjoy eating on my run. I know that it makes me feel better, but like the actual act of it is just, it, it became a job for me, which was kind of good at the beginning because it gave me something to focus on and think about. But then at the end, man, it was just ugh, rough. It was rough. Um, did you do anything else to kind of take your mind off of things is, since you were pacerless and kind of on your own? You know, the course really is so, so, so cool and beautiful. 
Um, and it was very, uh, it it changed a lot, right? So there were some rocky-ish parts, then there were some really flowy parts, and um, there was a part where it was grass. You know, it was just the terrain, and then those stairs, (laughs) you know, stone stairs, like rail, you know, rail tracks I was running down. So it really was nice to try to pay attention and, and look around me. Um, and then, you know, I can't, I would come up with some runners and we'd chit chat for a while. And those conversations are always fun. Um, you know, the people that you get to meet that you never would have otherwise come across. I, I find that fascinating and I love that part of running. Um, so, so I had the opportunity to do that a couple of times and that passed the time as well. All right. Um, so were you looking forward to picking up your pacer? Yes, I was definitely looking forward to picking up. Uh, so you picked up Holly. Um, yeah. How did, how did things change once you picked her up? I think the thing that changed the most was that, you know, you get this immediate boost, like, oh, there's somebody running with me now. <laughs> and there's kind of a, for me, there was kind of a, um, you know, want or need to chit chat a little bit and talk to her. Uh, and she was way more chit chatty than I was. Um, <laughs> so then it kind of, then I kind of went a little more quiet and she picked up and she um, did a great job of, you know, pointing out the things that we had talked about, you know, just reminding me to kind of be where I was. And at times I'd be like, Holly, these stairs that are coming up, they're so sucky. (laughs) Just wait, I'm not lying. Like I'm not exaggerating. They're bad. And I talked about these stairs, God, for like an hour and we got to them and she was like, these are, we went down that, you know, we had this big elaborate plan and that kept us occupied for a while. And we started going down them and it ended up being really not that big of a deal. And Holly was like, Lisa, are you kidding me? Like, that's what we were worried about these past, you know, 10 hours. Um, but it was, it was good to have her. And like I said, she knows we, we have a similar running style, I guess. And, you know, she knows, I think when, um, I could run aggress more aggressively and when, you know, I was wobbly or whatever. And, and, you know, just to kind of let me do my own thing. So it was, it was good to have Holly around. <laughs> That's great. Um, and Nathan, you've been on, on both sides of, of pacing and being paced. Um, what, uh, what kind of words of wisdom would you, uh, impart to everybody? So Holly and I actually had some really nice conversations, um, before she went out because this was actually her first time pacing and listening to Lisa talk about it. I think she just nailed it because she, she had a general idea of what the course looked like. Um, a general idea of where Lisa would be able to run and walk. And we did talk about that a lot. You know, we, we agreed when she picked uh, Lisa up that if it was a downhill and Lisa was looking, looking strong, that she could probably let her run that, but not if it was too steep. You know, if, if it was an uphill, okay, definitely if it's a significant uphill, absolutely force her to walk this, even if she wanted to do something else. Let's, let's save these muscles for later. And, and so Holly really just absorbed all that. And, and in the postmortem, the next day talking about it, it, you know, Lisa uh, was willing to, even though she'd seen the course before, was willing to take some of the cues from Holly. And, and, you know, if it was technical, then, then Holly would say, okay, let's, you know, Lisa would say, let's slow down. And Holly would say, well, you can, you can run this because it's very flat, even though it's somewhat technical, you can still do this. And I think that worked out quite a bit. Um, the other nice thing that, that they brought was they've run together so many times that, 
that they know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And I, I felt like, at least in the postmortem, that um, um, Holly really felt like that was beneficial while you were running, Lisa, that, that she knew when you were feeling bad and you could, you could count on her to do that. And so it was very nice in that regard. I think the pacer's job is, is both to know the terrain and to know the person. And, and to add those two things together and, uh, and maybe take some of that, again, going back to that brain fog that comes in, um, you know, in Lisa's mind, by the time I picked her up at mile 80, everything was incredibly technical and every, every leaf had a rock hidden under it that was going to trip her. And, and every hill was just the biggest hill in history and there was no way we were going to get to the top. And so some of the pacer's job is to know what's coming but not make it so complicated that, that the runner is going to just get more confused. And so we, um, with Holly, I actually pre-ran the first seven miles that Holly ran with Lisa. And, and so Holly and I talked through those first seven miles and said, okay. Um, and Lisa, I don't know if this is accurate, but the first two miles that Holly picked you up for, I think one, you had, you had the opportunity to be running with someone that, that you enjoyed with, but also it was two miles of like a 2% grade downhill on beautifully groomed trails yeah. that was just heaven to run down. And so we talked about that. And, and so I broke that seven miles up into three sections for her and, and she talked through that with you. And I think that that helps that she knew that going in. And so the more the pacer can know to help you out and, and allow you to walk and, and force you to maybe pick up the pace a little at that point, um, that's a good thing. Another thing that I really relied on both of you guys for was, especially when I got to you, Nathan, like to tell me when I had to eat, because that was, um, you know, like I said, that was on my mind the whole time by myself. And then once I picked up Holly, she'd just be like, girl, you gotta eat something. It's time. <laughs> yep. And you uh, mentioned it a minute ago, it, eating is math out there. You can take in two to 300 calories and, and you have to take in two to 300 calories. Um, it's, it's not really an option. So it's just a matter of figuring out what form that's going to be in. Are you going to drink that? Are you going to eat that? Are you going to pick something up at the aid station? How, how are we going to manage that two to 300 calories throughout the race? And, and then as a pacer, my job was, okay, at what point can I just forget about that and just let her run because there's not that much left in the race. So <laughs> at some point it becomes balancing that nutrition with your, your mental well-being and knowing when we can, uh, when we can kind of slough off in one direction or the other. And Lisa, did you provide any kind of, um, guidance or expectations, like any of this that you kind of talked about prior to the race or was this all just kind of on the spot? Like, um, you know. I think by virtue of Holly and I running together, she knew what I needed with Nathan. Nathan and I, believe it or not, had never run before. And although what I was doing at that point wasn't really running, um, I think, I don't know if, you know, by talking with uh, Holly or, or what, he, he really did know, or maybe he just knows that at that point, you just kind of need to distract the runner. Like just take, he, he did such a good job of taking my mind off of, you know, at that point, the pain that I was in, um, and how far I had to go, because even though it was only 18 miles, it might as well have been like, you know, 50 at that point, like it was, it just seemed so, so, so unattainable. Um, so he did a good job of, of really breaking it down too. Nice. Um, let's talk about the, the crew for a moment. Um, Nathan, as kind of the, the crew chief, how did you, um, organize everybody did you kind of give them roles or lisa did you kind of set those roles 
No, I'd say I, I really relied on Nathan for that. And that that was clear, you know, from the beginning when I asked him. <laughs> I was like, Nathan, oh, man. <laughs> but at least he also did an excellent job of, of picking folks that had different skill sets. And and it wasn't so much me saying, OK, each person's going to do this, but but finding out what the people would be good at and just allowing them to do it. So, uh, you know, having not met Jason or Holly prior, you know, I, I definitely had concerns that, you know, could Holly even do 28 miles with her? Um, I, who knows on a, on a trail, um, would Jason, would Jason be able to divorce himself from taking care of his wife and take care of his runner? And, and they really just came through and, and by me stepping back, Jason really ran getting her gear together at each aid station. I didn't have to worry about that. I, I had to worry about splits and times and how she looked and how she felt, but he had everything there and, and it was great. It was, you know, going in saying, okay, will this, will this be a weak point? Will that be a weak point? Who knows? Maybe I was the weak point because they did such a great job that I didn't have to manage much of anything. Um, we just found those roles and, and stuck with them. And to that point, when she came in, what type of things were you looking for? Um, I was really just looking at her general well-being. We had set her paces and and made some threats at the beginning to ensure that she didn't go out too fast. Um, I really feel like that's the the biggest mistake that everyone makes in in long distance races. Um, and again, it, it it all comes down to to math when you say when you say um, will if you're if you're going to be comfortable with a 14 minute mile at mile 100, are you going to be comfortable with that at mile two? And nobody's comfortable with a 14-minute mile at mile two. Um, so the, the challenge there is getting the runner to slow down. Now, Lisa was a little bit ahead of her splits, but that's expected. It, the, when you set, set splits out over the course of a race, it's, it's not possible to, to keep them at the beginning. But she was so controlled and looked so smooth. Even coming all the way up to 55, when we saw her and, and Holly picked her up, she was in mentally in a good enough space that we knew that we'd done our job to there. And now we could monitor it on a, on a basis. So we really only had three times to check her, check her pulse up to mile 55. And, and each time we'd, we'd look at the split sheet, we'd look at her well-being, and then we'd, we'd kind of adjust a tiny bit from there. But Lisa did all the work and, and had listened enough that she, she did take those paces seriously and, and was really able to manage through them. And Lisa, do you feel, feel like you did a good job kind of maintaining your, um, your calories per hour? <laughs> I did as well as I could. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I did. Um, you know, it really is so funny because towards the end, you know, theoretically that you feel better when you eat something out there, but towards the end, when you just have nothing left and then you eat something and it's like a IV, man, it's like an immediate response. You just feel this boost. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think I did all right up and probably until I got to Nathan. <laughs> Aaron, just a, a pearl of wisdom that I picked up from someone at one point. They 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 just said, "Listen, almost everything that can go wrong at the end of a race, if you're conditioned well, has to do with nutrition. So so if you're tired, eat something. If you're trip, eat something. If you're if your legs hurt, eat something. And and we're all undernourished by definition at the end of a race. And so just maintaining that schedule and making sure that you're eating something is, is so hard, but so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else that you saw up to mile 55? Was there anything, Lisa, that you think you would have changed or done differently? Um, I would have grabbed, well, probably not to mile 55. Um, I think, 
I think that was all right. I, I, think, I can't think of anything that I would have changed. Sure. It sounds like something might have happened right after that. <laughs> was there something well, that went on? You know, I once it got dark, um, I, I had some hesitation with around the whole headlamp thing and, and running until the battery died. Like that was a mind uh, mind game for me a little bit at the beginning. Luckily, Nathan had this Mac daddy headlamp that he let me use that he was like, you, and I, I must have asked him like 10 times, the battery's not going to die, right? Like the battery's not going to die on me, right? How long can I run with this battery? <laughs> so once I was secure with that, um, once it got dark, obviously it gets colder. And I wish that I would have put hand warmers in every single pocket that I had so I could take new ones out because uh, I did start to get a little cold after, you know, after I picked up Holly. Fair enough. Um, so Nathan, we have to ask this Mac Daddy headlamp. What, what did you have? <laughs> I, I use a Petzl now. Okay. Uh, the NAO, it, it's 750 lumens. It's more than bright enough. It'll light up a canyon for you. And um, I, I know that uh, short of short of putting a belt on, um, it's as much light as you're going to get. And, uh, and I, I, I think people go back and forth on whether they want to use a belt or a headlamp, but I do like to be able to see where my eyes are pointing. So I always have a headlamp on. Um, sometimes in, on really technical trails, I'll subsidize that with something around my waist um, just to help my, my footsteps. But I think if you're going to choose one of those, um, the, the headlamp provides a little bit more um, efficacy. I, I always, you know, when I don't use a belt, I just, you know, say, dang it, I could use the belt. So I, nowadays <laughs> I just always have the belt and, and the headlamp. I use both. Um, especially in the fall, you know, giving concerns with leaves and, and rocks and roots underneath. So, um, I always, you know, recommend use the belt and the, the headlamp, but, uh, yeah, like you said, some people choose just one or the other, but I like, I like them both. Um, uh, so, um, okay. Gotten through the first half. Well, first 55. So, um, you're through there. Um, and, um, you, you had picked up Holly, um, sounds like things were going well with Holly. Holly took you to what mile? Holly took me to 82. 82. And I, I will say that things started to go a little south. Uh, we had an aid station, I think at mile 74. Um, and after that, it, it kind of got rough for me. Um, you know, we were on a real, a trail that just seemed to go on forever. And I must've asked how long are we may on this trail, Holly? Like how, how long, how long? And at one point she said, we only have like a quarter of a mile. And this girl took notes. Like she knew those trails better than anybody, <laughs> but it was not a quarter of a mile. And I remember being like, this is longer than a quarter of a mile. <laughs> um, after, you know, 74, you know, the kind of things that were just maybe uncomfortable started to hurt a little bit more. Um, it started to get tough to get the calories in, uh, not because I felt sick, just because I was just tired of doing it. Um, so then, you know, we ran through that patch and she got me to Nathan at 82. What time of day was it when you got to 82? Uh, 3 11 AM. Because I remember looking at the clock and I was like, is it, is that the time? Is it three o'clock in the morning? Everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so weird. Um, I, I became so used to just figuring, to just thinking about 
you know, running to the next aid station, I just decided early on that I was not going to worry about what time of day it was because it didn't matter what time of day it was or night. It just mattered that I had to get to the next section. So yeah, picked up Nathan at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And recognizing that it's three o'clock in the morning, how are you, um, how are you holding up? I got cold, you know, I was cold. Um, I did not want to get out of the heated Jeep. You know, I tried, you know, I changed all my clothes or as many articles of clothing as I could. Um, but I knew, you know, like this is it. Once I picked up Nathan in my head, I was like, okay, this is the last stretch. Um, it's the last chunk. And I was eager to get out there. Um, and also, you know, I knew by the way I was physically feeling that I probably wasn't going to start feeling better. Um, so I was a little, you know, I was a little bit nervous to feel how much more it was going to get uncomfortable. <laughs> Were you doing caffeine at this point? I did not do any caffeine, believe it or no. not, except once when Ethan tricked me. Um, but I, I was a little afraid of what that might do to my stomach at that point. And I didn't feel sleepy. Like I didn't feel like I needed to pull over and take a nap or anything. So I just started, you know, I decided to roll with it. Cool. Very cool. Um, So Nathan, you pick her up. Um, What were you trying to do to keep her, keep her moving towards that finish? Sure. Well, actually she, she uh, for mile 82 for her first hundred mile, it looked great. And um, I'm a big believer. We, we touched a little bit on, on Lisa's, um, cards when she started and the amount of detail she was putting on to her, her pace cards as she went was just astonishing to me. Take, you know, it was take a left at this road, road, go up for a quarter mile, do this. And so in the last 18 miles in, in my mind, it was just very simple. We had, we had a, a flat stretch, then we had a long climb. And then we descended into an aid station, the second aid station, and then we went up and down again. That's it. That's all I needed to know. And so I knew that if we were going to run at all, it would be in that flat section at the beginning. And Lisa was a champ when she rolled out of mile 82. We ran the next four or five miles pretty much straight. Um, And she just did a great job. I don't know what she looked like before that, um, but we do long stretches of, of a quarter mile, a half mile or more. And then we'd take a quick walk break and then she'd jump back in. And and so we got into an aid station that was pretty cold and they had some fires going. And when we walked out of that aid station, it was uphill for nine miles. <laughs> it, was, it was a big one. And, and so we did a lot more walking there. But when we got to the top of that, then we were able to say, okay, now there's now there's just a short downhill, a little up, and then we're, we're home. And so it, it was trying to make it as simple as possible and things that made sense to me, but also made sense to Lisa so that she wasn't overthinking things. Um, so I, I don't know when the right time to address it is Lisa, you mentioned mile 74 and I'm just curious if there was anything that happened at mile 74, any, anything that, that mentally made you change, change your mind there. You said that's when it started to get difficult. I feel like this is a trick question because I, I don't remember anything glaring. So, (laughs) so interesting. And this goes, this goes back to what we were saying before about having backup goals and, and real secondary goals. What what I hear rumor Lisa did at mile 74 was for the first time was able to do math on her watch that told her she was not going to make her primary goal. And and in my mind, there's very little that can that can ruin your ability to push 
than knowing that you're not going to make a real goal. And if you don't have a backup, um, then then it, it becomes very difficult to move forward. So um, in my mind, that, that was a big turning point where, where it just becomes harder to run. You can still do it, but if you're not going to hit that goal... And at the time, I don't think she had a real backup there. I, when, when I picked her up, she was just afraid she was going to get cut off. Um, and, and that had a little bit to do w- with the start, uh, with the 20-person starts. Lisa was in a very early group. And so the entire day, the, the faster people that were in a, the back groups were catching up. And it seemed like she was going slower than she was. So her watch actually died at mile 82. And we made a conscious decision not to charge it because I had a watch and, and I knew how long it would take us to get in. So for the next, gosh, 10 miles anyways, maybe maybe 16 miles, Lisa was afraid she was going to get cut off. And so my job was to convince her that that was not the case, that we could still hit her secondary goal. And and when she, um, until she decided that that secondary goal was, was worth hitting, um, it was a very, very difficult run for her. And, and so, uh, you know, as we, as we started to get close to the finish, that secondary goal became much more solidified in her mind and something that she really wanted to hit. And then I saw it turn around and, and she was able to really push herself in a way that she hadn't been able to earlier. But Nathan, tell, tell the audience why I was able to do that. I well, can I hear your perspective, and then I'm going to tell you what my perspective is. <laughs> tell you my perspective first. So this kind of gets to the end, though, and I think maybe you should tell the story of getting to the end, and then I can fill in some gaps on it because this is your story, not not a timing story. <laughs> um, so there, yes, you you are absolutely 100 percent right. I kind of have blocked that from my mind. Yes, when I told Holly, like. There's no way, like it's done. My my primary goal was 24 hours, and that was hard to to not to realize that there was just no way. And I still felt like I had so much further to go. I was just like, crap. How many? Like, am I? You promise that I am not the last runner out here? <laughs> Do you promise that there? Like, am I going to be chasing these aid stations? Because in my head at that time, that's that's where I went. Like I didn't meet my A goal. So I better at least meet that very last goal. Um, you know, I hope they don't have to pull me off the course. Um, so then at some point, and I can't remember Nathan at what point it was, something kind of clicked in me. And I was like, my B goal was under 30 hours. Um, and then I was like, oh my God, could I get something with it? I remember saying, Nathan, is there any way I can finish and have the first number be a two? Um, and he, he said, I think he said something like, uh, yeah, but we need to do an average of 15 minute miles from here on out. And then boom, it was on. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. Um, and the whole time he really kind of made it <laughs> like I was chasing that goal by seconds. Like, like, can I, look at can it. I give some color here, Lisa? What? Can I give some color here in, in that when you decided to let me know that that 30 hour was still a target for you, there were only three miles left in the race <laughs> and, and you'd ignored that for the last 15 miles. And so so when you said that to me, I, I looked down at my watch. Now, one of the nuances is that the, because of the staggered start, Lisa started at 5.45 a.m. 
um, not on an hour, which is a really weird as a pacer when you're trying to do racing math is a really weird thing to try and figure out. And so uh, Lisa said, is there any way I can get in? And um, my only goal had been to get her in under 30 hours when I picked her up. That was my, that was my conscious goal. And we were, uh, I knew that we were going to hit that. Um, Lisa was convinced that we were way off of that, but I, I knew we would hit 30 hours. In order to get swept off the course, Lisa would have had to take a, a nap, honestly. Um, so she was, she was doing so well, but she'd given up on it a little bit, um, and, and was just worried. And so when she gave me a goal, I looked at my watch and it happened to be on the hour. And I said, well, Lisa, if we want to get in by quarter of, we're going to have to do 15 minute miles the rest of this. And she said, can I do that? I said, I'm, I'm fully confident you can do it. I'm, I'm a hundred percent believe you can get in. And she said, so if we get in, we'll be under 30 hours. And I said, absolutely. And, and so we spent the next three miles. She pushed as hard as she could push. And, and she had some, you know, she, she had very physical um, challenges with pushing that hard. And so it was amazing to see her run. But she pushed as hard as she could push. I knew uh, about half a mile out that we would not make that quarter of. Um, she was a little concerned about that. I was not because I hadn't mentioned to her that we actually had two more hours to go before the 30-hour cutoff. And so, <laughs> so as we came in, uh, she looked down and was for about 10 seconds was discouraged because we'd missed that quarter of. And then she saw the first number on the, on the finish. She said, is that 29 hours? And I looked at her and said, actually, it's 28. So you're, you're in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> She did amazingly well pushing. So I did not lie to her, but I gave her a new challenge that that had her push a little harder than she would have pushed because I felt like that was important at the end of the race. I didn't want her to leave anything on the course because in when you're running, it's easy to leave something out there. And immediately when you get done, you regret it. And and I know that she didn't leave a single thing on the course. And, and so regardless of anything else that I did out there, um, a small white lie to get her to to do what she was capable of doing was wonderful. It worked out. I forgive you. <laughs> now that you can walk again. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Um, Lisa, to you, how did those last three miles feel, you know, just pushing and, and having that number in your mind, not knowing? It was horrible. It felt horrible. <laughs> um, it did. It was, it was a little stressful for me. Um, but you know, as Nathan said, there's, there's a 0% chance that I would probably have run at all because I, you know, I just didn't think I had it in me. Um, so yeah, I, I'm looking back. I am glad that he did what he did. Um, but at the time it was, it was stressful. Do you have a new perspective on what you think you can do? Um, I have a new perspective for how much really probably anybody can do. You know, you hear it all the time that your your mind is so much stronger than your body. And that's something that's, I think, hard for people to wrap their heads around. Um, and unless you go through something like that and, and then truly believe it, I think I truly believe that now. Excellent. That's awesome. So, all right. You're approaching the the finish here, so talk about uh, talk about that. How's that? How did that feel? You know, honestly, I don't know. I I think that I thought I'd be more emotional, but I was so glad to just sit down 
I was just so tired. Um, and so it was just like unbelievable to me that I finished it. And then you cross the line and, you know, you see your family and um, the race director was there handing everybody their buckle, which is a big deal. Um, and Holly kind of looked, Holly just said, you're done. Like, I think maybe I kind of might've looked like crap. Do I have to run more or something? You know, like she just kind of just said, you're, you're done. And that, um, it's, it was a cool feeling. It was a, it was a good feeling. Nice. Nathan, what did that feel like to you? I, I was just so excited for, for Lisa to, to see that win and to know how she'd felt for at least the last 30 or 40 miles um, to, to get a finish there. And, and in my mind, again, to have her just leave everything that she had out there, work so hard to get some this amazing achievement. Um, and it, it makes a huge difference to, to have seen that in her eyes when she finished it. She didn't look as terrible as she thinks she looked. She looked like someone that had just run 100 miles and had just accomplished something she was not 100% sure she'd be able to do. It is. It's an amazing experience, especially when you've done it before on your own um, to share that with somebody. So that's that's awesome that you two got to share that moment. Um, so, um, you know, aside from um, learning that you can kind of push beyond boundaries, you thought you couldn't. Uh, what else did you take away from this, Lisa? Um, you know, I just think it's important you people always have reasons not to start big goals. Um, and there's never really a right time to do to start a big goal like this or something that seems daunting and not, you know, not just running. Of course, we're talking about running right now. But this to me, like looking back on the whole process, um, just exemplifies that when you have something that you've been wanting to do, uh, you just have to start you like you it sounds oversimplified, but, but as soon as you make the decision and start, everything else just kind of falls into place. Right on. Nathan, any takeaways from you? Um, I, I loved seeing that the team that she assembled come together and, and just kind of be there for her. And, and as a crew member, it's so, uh, frankly, I, I don't get to crew that often. Um, one, because I'm, I'm racing and working. And two, because honestly, Lisa's the first person that's asked me. And so um, it, it's been, it was so nice. It was so nice to be on that side and not have to worry about myself, but look and say, what can, what can we do for someone else? And, you know, I, it, it, she, she had a crew where no person out there, despite the fact that Jason was getting up at, at 2 a.m. to drive me to, to switch out with her other pacer. You know, the fact that her kids were, were out there. Um, no one at that moment felt like they were the most important cog in the wheel. The most important cog was, was Lisa moving along and making sure that we didn't get in the way of her doing it. And, uh, and to not only do that, but to get her what she needed was wonderful. That's tremendous. Um, do we miss anything? Any any stories or tidbits that we missed? I, I just want to say, I, I, I always feel like if you can keep going in a race, keep going. Um, there's no matter how fast you are, in, unless you're maybe an Olympic world record holder or something along those lines, the, the person that cares about it most is you. And, and there, there really aren't, while you're out there, if you're, if your driver is, um, you know, Lisa has this wonderful, uh, uh, 
program in Charlotte, Run Charlotte Run. And she's an inspiration for a lot of people. But if her reason for going out there was because of those other people, she I, I doubt she would have finished. This was for her so that she could add something to other people. And and so doing it for, you know, being able to deliver on that and, and doing it for yourself is a, is a really big deal. And so um, I, I just love to see that, that to have Lisa be in a spot now where, where she's achieved that and and hope that other people can find that as well uh, for themselves excellent awesome um if people want to reach out um are you comfortable sharing a way they can find you either on social media or another avenue yeah so i do manage run charlotte run it's run clt run on all social media platforms and then there's a website too that's run clt run.com and Nathan? And uh, I do all the social media for the ultra running company and so spend almost no time on my own. So <laughs> the best way to get a hold of, of me uh, is if you go onto any social media and, and look up the ultra running company, I'm likely the person that will answer. Um, we're, we're just a running store in Charlotte and uh, out trying to support the community and have some fun for ourselves. So uh, my email is super easy. It's just Nathan at ultrarunningcompany.com. We are, uh, um, we're ultra running company on Facebook and we're searchable everywhere else. So, um, we would love to help anybody out. It's, it's just fun to be doing things like this. Thank you both for, um, all you do for the community. Um, I think we should probably wrap up by Lisa. What was your, your final finish time and all that good stuff? It was 2807. 2807. It was beautiful. First hundred miler in the books, one buckle down and got no. <laughs> How many more to come? <laughs> I thank you both for your time and sharing your stories uh, for all your, your words of wisdom. Uh, it's, it was tremendous seeing both of you. And, it, uh, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. For having really appreciate the invitation, Aaron. Thank you so much. And great job, Lisa. Really proud of you. Well, I'd like to always, always thank my guests, Lisa and, and Nathan for their time and, uh, you know, their experience. Um, once again, you know, huge congratulations to Lisa on, uh, on finishing her first hundred. Um, it was a great, great story to hear. And, you know, um, obviously Lisa had her, uh, her ups and downs and, uh, she battled through and, and got her finished. So tremendous job to her. Um, Nathan, uh, thank you for, for helping her get through it, not only, uh, in crewing and, and sharing your knowledge with her, but also in pacing, um, tremendous uh, to both of you. Thank you so much. So far as things that, uh, that go on here, um, uh, well, man, um, my newsletter, uh, just came out, um, this episode will release on November 19th. Uh, my November newsletter just came out on the 17th. Um, so if you haven't seen it, uh, it is posted on my website, MR running pains. If you go to the connect page, um, the, uh, you'll see, uh, there's a link for the, um, the newsletter and all of my newsletters are archived there. Um, you can subscribe also on the website. Um, all of these podcasts are also hosted, um, you know, and, uh, and archived on the website. So you can go back and listen to previous episodes. Um, this, uh, this past newsletter, um, I get real, wow, I got, I think it took me so long just cause I had so much stuff that I wanted to share. Um, it was, uh, um, 
you know, there's a lot in there, a lot of things that I, I went through, you know, and, and wrote articles about, um, not only in, in training and racing nutrition, you know, there's a bunch, lots of, of stuff packed in there. So, um, I hope you'll take a look, um, subscribe. Um, I, I shared it on my, uh, MR running pains coaching Facebook page. So, um, if you like it, you feel it's worthwhile and you want to share it, I certainly appreciate that as I do, uh, you sharing, you know, this podcast. Um, I hope that, uh, you take stuff away from it and think it worthwhile to, to share with others. Um, you know, it's, that's, um, that was the goal of my podcast was to, uh, to create, um, episodes that we can all learn and take something away from as well as um, communicate with others, especially in this time. Uh, it feels like we need to uh, to draw nearer in some way, and it, though we can't do it physically, uh, at least we can do it verbally and communicate with one another. So um, if you've got something that you think would be worthwhile coming onto the podcast, uh, even if you want to be one of my guests, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, you can reach me through Facebook, uh, MR Running Pains Coaching, um, my, you know, my personal Facebook page, Aaron Saft, uh, Instagram, uh, MR Running Pains, uh, my Strava, Aaron Saft, MR Running Pains, uh, YouTube. I, I shared uh, a video in my newsletter of the uh, Lydiard Hill drills. Uh, I've been doing those uh, going on uh, week three here uh, and into week four. So um, I've really got some good experience. I probably should redo the video because it's amazing how much my form has changed and how much better I feel. So um, if you have questions about that stuff, training, you know, I talk about base training in the newsletter as well. So, uh, reach out if you want to hear, uh, my thoughts or, um, or learn about my coaching. Uh, I've got a few spots open, uh, my newsletter. I, you know, I put that, I have five spots left. Uh, I know my maximum of what I'm comfortable with and, uh, looks like I have five spots available, uh, right now. So interested in reaching out, please do. Um, you know, coaching has been, uh, as I say in every, every episode, uh, a true joy. Um, I'm really, really thankful for the opportunity. I keep learning. I took another course this past weekend. Um, and so, um, I'm also working on a, another certification on top of that and uh, a third one to come soon. So I just want to keep learning and keep doing better for my athletes. Uh, you know, I want to grow, um, grow, uh, my knowledge of this sport and how to better serve the athletes. Um, it's interesting to train the world of ultra because there is no textbook, uh, and no runner is the same. They don't respond to training the same. So it's kind of a cool puzzle to figure out. So if, if this jives with, with you and what you're thinking, like I said, please reach out. Um, my next episode next week, uh, we've got Thanksgiving and, um, I've got a lot to be thankful for. Um, one being my family. They are my, uh, my, my rock, um, my, my ground rod, if you will. Um, I, you know, I, I really am most grateful for them and, uh, I hope to have them on for the podcast and we'll talk things, um, running life, etc. Um, my little guy, Keegan, not so little anymore. He's 13. He just ran his first cross country race. Um, and, uh, you know, it broke my heart that, uh, that we weren't allowed to be there and spectate, but, um, you know, we can, we're going to talk to him about it. Uh, you know, kind of my daughter's perception of running has changed a little bit. So it's, you know, um, it's cool to, to watch them grow and develop and, and let them become who they are. So we're going to talk, you know, if I can <laughs> convince my wife to come on, um, you know, hopefully we'll have the four of us on and, uh, all four of us can kind of chat and talk about where things are and where they're going. And, and, you know, but anyhow, um, other than that, um, man, um, I, uh, I have a race this weekend, um, racing the Duncan Ridge trail 
50K uh, down in uh, uh, Georgia. Yeah, we start in Vogel Park, which is the start for uh, Georgia Death Race and the uh, Cruel Jewel 100. So um, heading down there uh, and, and going to run a 50K and uh, just going to have fun. You know, uh, it's, that's what it's all about right now. Um, really enjoy where my fitness is. So uh, I'm going to go out there and just have a great time and uh, and hopefully meet some cool folks, um, you know, and, and, you know, get a 50K under my belt for before the end of the year. So, um what else? I think that's uh, I think that's all I got for this episode. Um, again, questions, comments, concerns, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, you know, and please, as I said, share this podcast. Um, I appreciate the support. Uh, I appreciate all of you. I appreciate your listening. And uh, until next time, this is Aaron Saf signing episode forty off with. I hope all is well, and uh, I'll talk to you next Thursday on Thanksgiving Day. All right, everybody, take care.